Blog Talk Radio. Take a lickin'. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, we got a great show lined up for you today. In a few minutes, we'll have Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. He'll be joining us and today. We call it Open Mic. We reached out to a lot of our Facebook fans and wanted them to post their questions for Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor. So we've had a, a quite a few number of people that have done that. So as soon as he comes on and calls into the switchboard, we'll bring him on and we'll be answering a lot of questions from our Facebook fans today on Chicken health. Gotta love it. Hey, the summer issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine is out. You can subscribe again to the digital edition absolutely free at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. If you want the real subscription mailed to your door, it's $10 a year. Hey, it's a great um, it's a great uh, issue. I'm really proud of it. It's a lot of, got a lot of great information in there. And again, you can read the entire issue right now. Just head on over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com and uh, click on the summer 2015 issue. I think you'll be very happy with that. And after reading it, you'll want to subscribe. So uh, it is out. Came out last week. A great issue. I think you'll, it just contains a lot of information, a lot of pertinent information. It's got a great article in there about MPIP and what it really is. And um, 
and things like that. It's got uh, some uh, rodent control in and around the coop. Dr. McRae uh, wrote that. It's got an uh, article about e- ear canker. Uh, it's got an article uh, from Peter Brown, today's guest. It's got an article in there about uh, exotic Newcastle from Dr. Patisky. It's got an article in there about chickens and gardening from Richard Frudenberger, publisher at Back Home Magazine. It's just awesome. And there is an awesome contest in there as well for a starter coop from Urban Coop company so uh, make sure you enter that contest while you're there so uh, hey we're going to take our first commercial break and we come back uh, we'll bring on peter brown also known as the chicken doctor founder of firststatevetsupply.com and i uh, get that pen and paper out because hey we may have some questions today that will answer one of your questions as well so get that pen and paper out uh, head to the restroom get ready get situated for peter brown also known as the chicken doctor We'll be welcoming him in just a moment on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brincy.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. Technology you can trust. Introducing the BrightTap Chick Feeder, the cleaner feeder that grows with your flock. The BrightTap Feeder is designed with a unique shield that prevents chicks from standing on the feed tray and pooping into their food. The shield keeps the feed clean, so you spend less time cleaning the feeder. And when your chicks grow up and leave the brooder, you can use the BrightTap Feeder outdoors to give your adult chickens scratch, grit, and oyster shells. The unique shield also prevents rain from getting into the feed tray and spoiling the food. The Bright Tap feeder fills easily through a lid in the top. No more spills or wasted feed. To learn more, visit our website, chickenwaterer.com. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chickens to turkeys to ducks to peacocks. Nothing to lose, so Water 
Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer waiting on Peter uh, Brown, the chicken uh, doctor, to call in. So I ran a couple of extra commercials. That just means the um, uh, commercial uh, three-quarters of the way through the show uh, won't be quite uh, as long. So, hey, I want to remind everybody about a new project we started uh, that's already just uh, taken off. Uh, so so glad it has, and I had a feeling it would, and that is uh, fact or chicken poop. Dot com. If you go over to that uh, link, um, or that uh, domain name rather, www.factorchickenpoop.com, I'll tell you a little bit about the program. There's just it's so frustrating. Uh, I mean, this is a, this is episode 1005. Uh, this is uh, not our first rodeo. We've been doing this now. This is our seventh year of broadcasting over a thousand episodes. That's more episodes than Friends, Seinfeld, and Mash all put together. Okay, so very proud of that. And you can listen to all of them anytime you because they're all archived. But there's just so much bad information out there uh, on blogs and forums that uh, I said, you know what, Let, let's do this. It'll be educational. People can, it'll do really twofold. One, show people the, the kind of bad information and statements that are made on blogs and forums. And number two, give them the right information. Uh, and then it's a learning process. They can learn as they read, oh, this statement, oh, it's not right. Well, what's the right, what's what's the right statement? Or what's, what's why is this proven as to be chicken poop? So, uh, it's, so far it's taken off uh, thousands of, of reads and hits on that uh, particular site on our website. And the, the first one was all about, uh, or a little bit about salmonella. Uh, and it was, um, 
No, it works. I'll, I'll search uh, the web and try to find a statement, not a question, but a statement somebody's made as if that statement is absolutely the true factual scientific information. I'll take that statement and I'll send it to a poultry professional somewhere around the United States. Poultry uh, University, UC Davis, uh, North Carolina State, UGA, University of Kentucky, um, um, Texas A&M, just good agriculture, poultry scientists, uh, poultry veterinarians, uh, extension poultry specialists, and have them and reply. The second one was all about uh, egg withdrawal period, uh, for example, using Wazine and uh, great response from the folks up at uh, Farid regarding that, the scientists up there who do nothing but deal with egg withdrawal times. So it's, uh, it's it, very proud of it. It's, it's been very popular, uh, thousands of hits and reads so far, and that's uh, fact or chickenpoop.com. Gotta love it. So it uh, looks like Peter's just called in. So happy for that. Let's get over here to the switchboards and we'll bring him bring directly him on and let's on give... And let's give uh, him a, uh, big, a big chicken whisper. Hey, Peter, how you doing today? I'm good, Andy. How are you? Good. I have a really bad echo. It may just be on my end, um, but I'm going to ask you if you can try to call back in one more time. I'll, I'll immediately bring you on. I do still have an echo. I'll have you start teaching us, uh, or I'll start with the questions, and then I'll call back in. Um, I'm out and about. Actually, I'm in the truck uh, doing a live broadcast on, on site, so uh, if you'll call back in, we'll try to eliminate that. If not, then I'll call back in. Okay. I'll call you right back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sorry about that. Okay. No problem. There we go. So I do not hear the echo when he's not called in and brought on live. So we're going to see it again. If I still have the echo, I'll go to the first question, maybe a couple of questions, and then I'll go through the uh, sign on. I'll go through the sign on process again on my end to see if that solves the problem. It may just be the line that he called in on uh, on the uh, switchboard through Blog Talk Radio up in New New York City. So uh, let's try this uh, again. Hey, All righty, Peter. Peter. Yep, I'm here. Yep, I have a horrible echo. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get over to our Facebook page. It is uh, open mic, and I don't know if the echo is if people listening can hear the echo or if it's just me listening to the echo or if it'll be archived with an echo. But I'm going to try to nip that in the bud real quick and uh, see what I can do about it because it's also driving me nuts here listening in my ear. <laughs> I hear you. So let me go ahead and uh, thank you very much for joining us today. It is open mic, and so what I did was I reached out to folks on my Facebook page uh, to post questions for you. So let me get down to the post yesterday. We are going to take these in order. And uh, first one comes to us from Heather, and her question is, is it true that eggs are hatched with a cuticle and they will actually keep longer if not washed but refrigerated? Thanks, C.W. McCock! And um, first, I will let her know that in the summer issue last year of Chicken Whisper Magazine, we had an awesome article based on exactly her question. It was um, uh, it was written by I don't remember his name right off the hand, but he is a poultry veterinarian associated with UC Davis out in California, and he talked about either washing, refrigerating, and why or why not. And uh, he has backyard chickens, and he is in it for the eggs. And it's, it's really a great laid-back article. But he tells you a little bit about risks here if you don't do that and why you may want to do that. And, and from memory, it kind of all boils down to 
if you're selling or giving away your eggs versus just personal consumption. But it's really good because it's not. And I searched really hard to get somebody that didn't really have an agenda. I didn't have someone from the egg board uh, write it. I didn't have someone from USDA or CDC write it. Uh, I, but I did have a poultry veterinarian write it. And so he did. You know, he has no agenda to, to whatever information he's going to give you because we know uh, the alphabet group um, is going to basically set USDA. You know, all the CDC are going to say, "Yep, wash and refrigerate immediately." And uh, we know that they're going to say that. But I wanted to reach out and have someone with you know, with the, the with the uh, credentials but maybe not so much a, an agenda for whatever reason. So it is a really, really good article. And now you know that I do try to do that with the magazine because um, I want you to get the right information. But we'll start off with that one. Is it true that uh, eggs are hatched with a cuticle and they will keep longer if not watched, but refrigerated? And while you're answering that and talking a little bit about that, I'm going to try to get off and can come back on and see if I can get rid of the seco, Peter. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Yep, no problem. Well, in answer to the to the question, uh, they are uh, uh, the eggs are laid with a cuticle, um, so to speak. It is a um, um, covering that's put over the egg. Uh, it also serves a couple of purposes. Uh, uh, the true name of it is ovomucin. It is a uh, a uh, liquid substance that uh, is uh, uh, produced uh, by the oviduct and uh, coats the outside of the egg, uh, making it easier for the egg to pass, number one, but also uh, when the egg dries, the, uh, the what would become then the cuticle uh, will basically fill in most of the pores in the eggs. Um, uh, for those that don't know it, eggs are porous, um, uh, regardless of uh, what you might think or hear. Um, and so when the, when the ovomucin dries uh, on the uh, exterior of that egg, uh, it's going to help prevent pathogens uh, from uh, getting inside of that egg. Um, I think whether a person washes an egg or, or doesn't wash an egg uh, is um, you know, going to be up to that particular individual. Um, generally, eggs for human consumption sold in the... Uh, uh, supermarkets are uh, generally sanitized. They're washed and they're sanitized, and that uh, that washing and sanitizing uh, more than likely will remove uh, most, if not all, of, of the cuticle. The cuticle also uh, prevents uh, rapid um, dehydration of the egg, and um, so you know it 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 actually um, plays several different roles. Uh, going back to uh, washing and sanitizing, uh, there are some uh, risks, um, however slight they might be, um, that uh, you could pick up a pathogen passed by the bird um, in the, um, uh, you know, through its digestive system. You have to bear in mind that the, um, uh, the oviduct, where the egg is coming from, uh, opens directly into the cloaca. Uh, the, and the cloaca being the chamber, the vent being the opening, and then the uh, intestinal tract empties out into that too. So uh, birds urinate, defecate, lay eggs, and mate from the same opening. And uh, so it leads, you know, there, there's a great possibility. Uh, I say great depending on the birds, depending on where they are, depending on how healthy they are. And in a commercial setting, um, you know, that liability of having that egg out there with the possibility of having a, a pathogen uh, 
uh, attached to it. Somebody consume it. Uh, don't forget, you can tell people over and over and over and over again how to handle eggs uh, and how to handle chicken and that kind of thing. And, and uh, a, a reasonable percentage of people don't follow those things. Um, so it does come with a cuticle uh, on it, uh, and that does help prevent the birth, the, um, uh, the egg from becoming contaminated. Also prevents uh, uh, extreme moisture loss, so it, it re the egg will retain its quality uh, a lot longer with the cuticle intact. And you know whether or not uh, you want to wash them before you uh, uh, you eat them. I would say if you are going to store eggs for a reasonable time, I, and I would probably do that and put them in the refrigerator, and then I would. Uh, uh, probably wash them afterward if I was inclined to do so. That way uh, the freshness of the egg will be uh, better retained with the cuticle intact than it might be without it. But uh, it's not a tough subject, pretty straightforward. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I would suspect that, um, you know, the um, uh, washing the eggs is more of a uh, liability issue thing. You know, thinking about uh, the salmonella outbreaks that we've seen uh, you know, you have to also bear in mind that uh, uh, E. coli is a natural inhabitant of the intestine of almost all animals, including man. So uh, there is a possibility that E. coli could be picked up on that egg as well. Um, uh, kind of one of the comments. Uh, and there's still an echo there. So I'm just going to keep going with the show and hopefully, because you'll be doing most of the talking, hopefully that no one else, you can't hear it, I assume, and hopefully no one else out there in the archive won't be able to hear it. It'll just be me and I'll just uh, um, deal with it. But another, okay, good. For, for me, the issue is that I'm 46 years old and I don't know, to be honest, as accurate as I can be to say this, I don't know if I've ever used eggs in any type of recipe, whether it be scrambled eggs, fried eggs, cakes, pies, whatever the heck I'm making that I didn't drop eggshell into the pan or, you know, with everything else that's in there, which if I didn't wash them, then that, that's the potential bacteria there. Yeah, you can cook it 160 degrees, you know, da 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 da, -da. But, Or how many times do you have the egg white run down the outside of the eggshell, picking up whatever possible bacteria would be there and then falling into the pan? Um, and then how many times do you mix a cake batter and you have three eggs in there and you say, oh, here, lick the spoon when you're done, kids, whatever. So it's just like, like I said, that, that's, that's my biggest my issue is I always seem to drop the eggshells down into whatever um, uh, that I'm ending up uh, cooking. And then and then the folks that say, you know, hey, I like to leave the bloom on uh, the cuticle because it keeps my eggs fresher much longer. And, you know, my question to them is, how long are you keeping your eggs? So I, mean, I think that's an accurate question because, you know, I mean, you, buy, you, you get your eggs. You, you know, we've had a lot of chickens before and. But still, I mean, how, how often are, they, are you going to be in the fridge for nine months, six months, three months? I mean, how, realistically, if you keep the cuticle on for eight days, are you really going to be able to tell a difference? You know, so, so that's, that's my other biggest question to a lot of people when they're thinking about this and what they want to do and the decisions they make on whether I'm going to wash or refrigerate. Uh, read that article because it has a lot of good information as well. But, oh, yeah, I keep it on just because it's going to keep my eggs fresher longer. 
okay, for eight days, really? Uh, and a lot of people just keep, <laughs> you know, a lot of people keep them in the refrigerator, not washed, and then they wash them right before they use them. So, so they're not debating whether they should wash them or not. They'll still wash them, but, but they think they'll stay fresher longer if they keep them on there. So they're still washing, but just waiting until right before they use them. A lot of people actually do that. But yeah, that's the other question when, when I hear that from folks. I say, oh, it keeps my eggs fresher longer. And I'm like, really, how long do you keep eggs? <laughs> I kind of look at them like, really not three four months so um the, the situation you, that i that i uh, could see coming out of that where um uh an egg may stay a lot fresher than than other eggs uh, within a bunch um would be from older hens where the shells are getting kind of thin so mm -hmm. therefore mm -hmm. in that situation you know leaving the uh the, you know the cuticle on uh, may be a, uh, an advantage to keeping the egg from, you know, losing, uh, you know, some of the moisture. But, um, you know, sometimes some of these things are, are mind over matter, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if it matters to you, you'll do it. If it doesn't matter, you won't do it. And uh, uh, some people, they're, they're perceived things. Uh, if if a, a mother, a father, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle did it, then therefore it's got to be right, just like people uh, uh, who have, you know, voted the way their parents vote uh, or grandparents have voted uh, all, all their life without, uh, you know, taking a look on the other side of the fence. Uh, and I just use that as a, as a comparison. Yeah, sure. and, uh, not interested in getting into an argument over it, for sure. Right. But, I think it's, uh, an, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's very important also for us to tell folks that that boom, that cuticle, it is not by any means, any stretch of the imagination, 100% that you're not going to get bacteria in that egg. It is still, it, it can still be penetrated. Um, so I think people also on blogs and forums, you see that, they think, oh, leave the bloom on, it is preventing, it is stopping, it is, you know, it's, the bacteria is not going to get in there. And that is not the case by any stretch of the imagination. It, yes, it helps. There, there are, you know, thousands and thousands of pores on that egg. But and and, the, and that is just so people know it is not a 100% deal here. The things and bacteria can still get through that uh, cuticle and get in inside the egg. It's not 100% help. Yes, 100% no. Yeah. On the other hand, too, the the uh, uh, it doesn't come out dry. It's still wet when it comes out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, uh, you know, the the less humidity in the air outside, the quicker it's going to dry. But if it's hot and humid outside, uh, you know, it'd probably stay on there for a while. I've never measured how long it takes for mm -hmm. it to, to dry because I never cared. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know that, that uh, um, breeding companies will, will not necessarily wash those eggs until they're ready to set them. And, uh, you know, and, and again, all of these things depend on, on, uh, on the... You know how, how old the eggs are. The older the eggs, the more porous the shell. As a general rule, the uh, uh, the, uh, the younger the hens laying the eggs, uh, t you know, usually the the thicker the shell. And you know maybe uh, the cuticle being left on at that point isn't going to be a big deal. Um, person myself don't care either way. Um, mm -hmm. the, um, you know it, it's it's just not a big deal for me. But you know the, the answer to the question is just what we said. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, let's move on to the the next one. Jeremy wants to know: Do fleas like chickens? And a lot of people, you know, have heard and know about you know mites and lice. But uh, he's wanting to know: Do fleas like chickens? If so, what is the safest way to treat areas where they? Go? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure um, that the regular dog flea is going to really take up residence uh, on, on chickens. But there is a flea called a stick-tight flea that does. <laughs> and they are nasty. And if you've got them around, you're not going to want to take any shortcuts to, to getting rid of them. You're going mm-hmm. to want to use whatever firepower you can uh, to, uh, you know, to get rid of them uh, as quickly as possible. And um, that can range anywhere from plain old diatomaceous earth to uh, poultry protector right on up to uh, uh, you know, the permethrins and the, uh, the elector. And for those of you that like your seven dust, maybe that too. Um, these fleas uh, burrow into the skin to a degree, and, and that's why they're called stick tight. Uh, they just don't come off very easily, uh, and you'll know them when you see them. Uh, I believe we did a show last year that uh, talked about the stick tight flea, so they might want to go back and search the archives. Um, but yes, uh, from that standpoint, yes, the regular dog flea, I'm not so sure. Uh, I've never seen one of those, but I have seen the others. And um, if I were uh, looking at having a problem uh, with this, uh, I would look at uh, uh, possibly spraying the ground with permethrin. Uh, you might even try, if you want to go to a more natural approach, the poultry protector. Um, and um, even, even so, the, um, and I don't sell this particular product, but I, I like it a lot and that is the mosquito barrier. It is good for a lot of things besides mosquitoes, and uh, uh, you can call the company, uh, just Google it online and get their 800 number, call them and ask them what their experience is with that and fleas, and they'll tell you, and uh, give it a shot. Uh, We just got our bottles in here uh, this week so that uh, we can spray uh, our yard here. We seem to have uh, picked up a problem with ticks and stuff, and... um, we also have mosquitoes up the bazoo, so this uh, product works pretty well for the, those issues. So um, those are the couple of things that I would do. Uh, the Prometherin, uh, Elector is another one you could use, which is a very safe product overall, uh, just expensive to do. But, um, you know, fleas overall, especially these, these uh, stick-type fleas, are, are, uh, are, are devastating to a, to a flock of birds, and uh, I wouldn't want to see anybody get them. So... Uh, that would be my answer to that one, and that's how I would go about doing it. And once I got it under control and got rid of it, uh, diatomaceous earth and the soil worked in uh, on a regular basis. And I'm, I'm thinking, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, once a month, just spread it over top of the ground. Uh, uh, diatomaceous earth in a 50-pound bag is pretty cheap, and uh, it's a, a good natural way to, to try to gain some control of that. It's um, when I see people report on that or they post about it, they just get so frustrated. How can I get rid of these things? It's, you're right. It's it's not something to play with. No. Okay, Melissa is uh, next in line here. I have a silky with stuffed nares. Uh, they've been like that for a year. I can get one cleaned out, but the next day it's covered over again with black stuff. Um, when I get when that I get off, that it's off, yellow, yellow liquid, liquid underneath. underneath. I've given her antibiotics with no look and helping. My other chickens are just fine. Any suggestions? Yeah, with the black stuff, um, sounds to me like uh, she's picking that stuff up from, uh, you know, pecking around in the, in the dirt somewhere. Um, 
least that's what I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, you wouldn't normally get that out of a feed bowl if the bird were confined. Um, and uh, I've seen it before where they get uh, the, a, a, a little bit of an infection going on in those nostrils, um, and then it very easily picks up the, uh, uh, the dirt. Uh, believe it or not, uh, you know, there are all kinds of bacteria, uh, mold, fungus, and, and what have you uh, in, uh, in dirt. Uh, that's where anthrax comes from. Uh, and, you know, people that are gardeners um, and are play in the dirt quite a bit in certain areas of the country uh, wouldn't be uncommon for a person to, uh, to actually pick that up. So um, uh, one of the things you can do is to continually work uh, to clean the nostril out, uh, sometimes using a very, very fine feather and um, working it in and, and digging all of this stuff out. And then um, if you want to, you can lubricate the feather, but it'll you know, put the pointed end in first and just slowly work it into the nostril. And that should come pretty much out in the, in the roof of the mouth in, in the uh, uh, what's called a nasal cleft. And... Um, uh, and you can also look to see if there's any material building up in that nasal cleft. Um, and you can, you know, use uh, a small toothpick, uh, a, uh, the end of that feather, uh, to try to uh, to get the material out. Uh, the other thing you can do once you uh, you mentioned uh, that one of the nares was cleared but continually uh, uh, oozes uh, yellow stuff. Uh, lots of times, trying to give them. Uh, she didn't say what antibiotics she's used. She didn't say what quantity she used and how long she used it, uh, but I would consider uh, doing nasal flushing, and uh, that consists of making a, a sterile solution of uh, oh, 30 cc's or so um, of sterile water. It can be warm but not hot. Just boil it on the stove and um, let it come to relative room temperature and add a, a couple of cc's or so of uh, Thailand 50 LA200 to that. Uh, mix it up in a disposable cup and uh, pull some up in a syringe, take the needle off, and then with the bird's uh, mouth open and the bird's head down, so no liquid pools in the mouth, uh, run that liquid uh, solution and flush those nostrils out. Once you get them cleaned out and do this two or three times a day uh, and follow up by putting uh, some drops of Vetrex uh, directly in the nostril, both sides, take some on your finger and run it up in that nasal cleft uh, and see if you can't keep it all cleaned out that way. Uh, it may require uh, giving an overall antibiotic to the bird. Uh, then you can uh, uh, decide whether you want to give the, uh, uh, the uh, Thailand 50 as an injectable uh, to the bird. Uh, and if I was going to do that, I would do it for at least seven days uh, in addition to the uh, nasal flushing and see if you can't clear that thing up before it gets, gets out of hand. But you probably picked up an infection from digging around in the dirt. That'd be my guess on that. All right, great. Uh, let's see. The next one here comes from uh, Lydia. What's the easiest way to treat a single chicken with unexplained sneezing? Tests came back negative for mycoplasma, AI, uh, PT, etc. Should I treat everyone as a uh, prophylactic or just maybe treat this one bird? Uh, is there anything to worry about there, Peter? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, I think, again, here, the first thing I would do, uh, if it's only one bird um, and it's just sneezing, I think I would um, 
uh, isolate the bird, which should be done at the first sign of sneezing anyway, uh, and check the nasal nares, check the, uh, uh, the roof of the mouth, and, and make sure that the uh, um, nasal cleft is clean and there's nothing in there. Uh, you know, check all over in the bird's mouth, make sure there's no other growth uh, in the mouth at all. And then I, I would proceed to nasal flush this particular bird, and um, I may give the bird in its drinking water two teaspoons of the oxytetracycline concentrate uh, in a gallon of water um, and give it to her for, for at least 10 days, uh, maximum 14. Certainly if you're not getting anywhere by 10 days, it's uh, not going to be any uh, of any value to continue on to 14. But uh, the nasal flushing may just help with that um, and just see what, see what that does. Nasal flushing is a very important tool uh, to... Um, to combat these types of things where there are issues in the head area um, that are not easily rectified by giving an oral antibiotic, uh, such as the Oxytet and Gallomycin and, and those, those kinds of things. You need something that's going to get more systemic, and by bringing the antibiotic in the form of the nasal flushing right to the area where the uh, problem exists, you might be more successful doing that, but I would back that up with the oxytet in the water as well. Okay, okay. Good, good deal. deal. Here's a really interesting, interesting question, question and uh, a lot of detail, so that's good here. Uh, wants to know, I have a hen who suffers from sauerkraut quite often. She also has been treated at my local vet for an impacted crop. And now I think she has a wheat crop in general. I also make my own yogurt and give her this with layer mash weekly as suggested by my vet. I keep a good eye on her, massage her crop, ensure she has no lumps, etc. I have read that she can live happily like this, um, needing no treatment, but I wonder what supplements, if any, I could give her to make life better. She lives with eight others who are all healthy. She is about a year old now. Well, um, there is no such thing uh, as a weak crop, okay? And uh, by that I mean uh, that uh, there is no musculature uh, in the crop that makes food move out uh, of the crop. So um, when a bird becomes crop-bound, it's generally uh, an issue uh, with what they have consumed. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, and I can't see this bird, but uh, mm -hmm. it makes me think that this crop itself may be, uh, and I, I use the term maybe, uh, somewhat oversized and may be getting into a little bit of a pendulous crop situation where uh, the crop doesn't want to. It's just nothing but an elastic bag. So maybe it, it, if, from a weak standpoint, if you want to call it weak, it might have lost some of its elasticity. Um, and allowing some of that to sit over the uh, clavicle, which is the wishbone in the chest, and um, if that, that food will just sit there, and it'll ferment and rot and stink and, and uh, go into a sour crop situation uh, real quick. I would suggest um, either apple cider vinegar in the water um, and see if that doesn't help with the sour crop issues. I would keep this bird away from all coarse food, and I wouldn't allow her to overfeed herself. In other words, you know, we've all seen these birds that will get to the feeder and they, they just stuff it in and the crop sticks out about three feet in front of them. Um, you don't want this particular bird to do that. So I might 
consider controlling what she eats uh, in the amount um, and you're not going to be you're not going to be starving to death just going to feed her more often that's all so smaller amounts uh, more often during the day um, and I would certainly consider putting a probiotic in the drinking water um, and maybe some vitamins electrolytes in her water uh, and see what that does for her as far as supplements are concerned um, I am much happier having birds get what they need from the feed they eat. Um, I would do it with the yogurt. I think yogurt, in my personal opinion, uh, is useless. We've been up and down that highway too many times. I'm not going to bother to go into it. Um, but uh, they don't get the value out of the yogurt that they'll get over a standard uh, probiotic. And the probiotics mm-hmm. are not, not that expensive. We've, we've been selling the same one for many, many years, and the price is still the same. It's a one-pound container for a little bit less than 20 bucks. last year forever. And um, uh, can't begin to tell you the people that have been using these types, types of things and, and the, the benefits that they've been getting from it. So, uh, you know, you need to watch and see and make sure that that crop is emptying uh, before you give that bird any more food. And, um, you know, softer things. Um, no grass. Uh, none of that kind of stuff. No bedding type materials that they can eat. Uh, uh, no crickets. No, nothing that's going to be hard for her to pass and digest through this crop. Um, but bear in mind that the crop doesn't, there's no digestion of, of any consequence that takes place there. There are some enzymes that are added, but they don't really, they're more for making the, uh, uh, the feed that's there move out a little bit easier. Um, you know, she may have some other anomaly at the opening to the proventriculus, which uh, is the next organ that the food will see once it leaves the crop. Um, you know, sometimes there are some issues uh, with uh, uh, with the proventriculus, uh, a, a problem called proventriculitis, which is an inflammation of that. Proventriculus is the true glandular stomach of the bird, okay? And I'll throw this out there again because I think it's worth saying. A bird that you have that's crop-bound, you never ever add grit to their diet at that point because the grit has to go from the crop through a small piece of intestine to the proventriculus and then over to the gizzard got a long way to go and if the stuff that's in the crop isn't moving you're not going to help it by putting a bunch of rocks in there so uh, you'll refrain from doing those kinds of things because they're they're counterproductive and and make things worse and when you have a bird that's crop bound stop feeding it because if what's in there now isn't moving putting another a uh, bundle of stuff in there isn't going to help it either. So we generally stop feeding them, give them plenty of food and water, massage the crop, and try to get that stuff uh, moving. Uh, and generally it does. You know, it, and generally it does. I had somebody contact me the other day. I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, it must be new to chickens, but it was really kind of cute. You know, I, I don't even know their name, so I'll just pass it off here. But it was kind of funny and uh, showed me a picture of a bird. I won't even say what kind of bird it was. And they wanted to know what was causing this huge tumor in the bird's neck. And mm-hmm. I replied that it wasn't a tumor, it was a bird's crop. And they said, well, it feels like a tumor, it's hard as a rock. And I explained, you know, how to go about fixing it and everything else. And I heard back from them, so I'm assuming that uh, everything went, you know, went well there. But if you continue to feed them, it's going to pack it in there. And then it makes it even more difficult to get what's in there out because the... Uh, uh, the crop, the elasticity of it, of the crop, you're stretching it all the way out. It's got no place to go, and it just makes things worse. So, and you're not hurting the bird. You know, people say, "Well, I don't want to starve them." Well, hell, they're starving already. 
there's nothing getting through, so you know there's no mm-hmm. point in keep putting stuff in. Best thing you can do for them at that point really is make sure they drink water and make sure you massage the crop. And you have to do it vigorously. You can't namby pamby around like you're going to hurt them. They don't feel nothing when you grab a hold of that thing, and you grab a hold of it and crush it like it's a rock. And that, that's the only way to break up what's in there and get it moving. But um, I suspect this particular one we're talking about may have some issues with a uh, elasticity problem in the crop, which leads to pendulous crop. I'm not saying that it is pendulous, but it might hang a little bit over the edge a little bit from time to time. So feed less, feed more often, and make sure that the feed is being digested. Uh, Go with the probiotic uh, and uh, see what all that does for you. Okay, great. Uh, Moving right along, we've got uh, about 15 minutes. I want to make sure I try to get as many as we can in here in the hour. Uh, um, Barb wants to know this. This is an interesting question. I've heard this a lot posted. I want to know how true is the statement that the current bird flu, avian influenza, does not live or thrive in temperatures above 70 degrees. If so, are the infection incidences down now that it's summer? Not quite summer yet. And uh, how likely is the outbreak to spread east in the fall? Fantastic question. And um, if I had the total 100% guaranteed answer to it, that would be nice. But I think it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of interesting, um, uh, at least for the moment, what we're seeing is it's been warmer on the east coast uh, up until uh, yesterday. And the temperature dropped here yesterday afternoon. And um, we've got a uh, – actually, I put a light jacket on this morning when I went out. Um, it was, uh, it's been raining. It was raining pretty decent. And, uh, but the temperature dropped down into the 60s, and so I just you know, put a real, real light jacket on just to take the chill off. But um, it doesn't survive very well uh, in the heat, uh, and thank God for that. But uh, I do believe um, – that uh, if you look at the situation where we are now, this has stayed pretty much west of, of the East Coast. Uh, I think Indiana being the furthest along, and I don't believe they have more than one case there. But it's pretty much stayed out Iowa, Nebraska. Um, I heard somebody talking about Colorado. I don't know if that's actual. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Washington and those where it's been colder. And it stays colder. Only about three, no more than four weeks ago, certain areas of Wyoming and uh, uh, Colorado had foot and a half, two foot of snow. So it's a different environment there, uh, and um, you know it's going to thrive there for a little little while longer. Um, I don't think, um, and it's just a hunch of mine. I mean, nobody's got the the crystal ball, but um, I don't think we're going to see it here on the East Coast before fall, and I'm I'm, I'm just afraid of that. Uh, right now, everybody's canceling shows left and right as far as the states are concerned. Um, you know, I can't blame them. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And, you know, these are all political appointee positions, uh, these state veterinarians, uh, for the most part. Um, you know, and if they make the wrong call, uh, their head's going to be on the chopping block. And, uh, you know, so they're airing, uh, you know, uh, with an abundance of caution, uh, uh, canceling all of the shows uh, for the rest of the year uh, in places like Ohio, what's going to happen when the fall does come. Um, you know, uh, no shows now in the summertime, but, you know, I think this is really going to hurt the show industry uh, dramatically um, because uh, if this does come back again in the fall, which I suspect it will, I my, my personal feeling most, is... Most- I think this is most going of to the cancel. Pardon? 
Go ahead. I was going to say most of the cancellations are all of the rest of the year, all the way until January 1st, 2016. The ones that I saw recently came out for the rest of the whole year. Yeah. So the, the yeah. issue that I, I see with it is if it comes back in the fall, then you're going to see 2016 bite the dust because mm-hmm. uh, nobody's going to want chickens running all over the place. So it, it, this could be a very ugly thing, and I hope I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, it's going to impact me just as well as it will other people. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I know a lot of the uh, folks at USDA, they're um, concerned that, that as, as the migration starts uh, this fall, birds heading south, that the East Coast may see their first uh, May. And like you said, we don't have a crystal ball, and we hope it sure sick doesn't, uh, because there's a lot of meat birds produced on the East Coast, including down there in Georgia, that produce more meat birds than any state in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. So nobody, nobody wants nobody to see wants that, obviously. That. Barb, hopefully that answered your uh, question. You know, the, the, the problem I see, Andy, uh, and I just want to touch on this real quick, because, you know, there sure. seems sure. to be like everybody's baffled as to how, it's, how this gets around. Having been in that industry many years ago, uh, and it really, in a lot of ways, hasn't changed. There have been dramatic changes all over the place, but in some ways it hasn't changed. And, and one is when it comes to spending money. If they can't see right now, a reason for doing something, they don't do it. And and you know, and um, I can remember sitting in, in a veterinarian's office and talking about a vaccine or whatever we were talking about, and uh, wanting to sit there and break it down as to how much that was going to cost them per pound of meat. That's all that was, the interest was. Certainly, there was interest in whether it was going to be efficacious. That's that's a foregone conclusion. But in the ultimate end, the dollars and cents of it, using this particular item, vaccine or whatever it was. How much was it going to cost per pound of meat? That's what they want to know. And so if going out here and disinfecting before there's an outbreak in your neck of the woods, okay, where is that going to fit into the equation? It doesn't fit, okay? And you might say, well, that's foolish. Well, it is foolish. I think a lot of the spread that you're seeing in some of these states um, is the fact that there isn't any real disinfection going on. The guy down the street says, it's the guy down the street's problem, just like we heard early on. You know, well, it's a West Coast problem. Well, not quite so much. And um, so it's always the other guy's problem until it becomes your problem. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of this stuff. Um, I know for myself, if I were running a poultry operation right now, no matter where it was, uh, anything coming in going out would have to be disinfected, period, whatever the cost, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the cost of, uh, you know, um, all the downtime and lost uh, revenue and everything else, you know, got to hurt a lot of people. So um, I, think, I think they really know how it's spreading. They, they, they really can't stop it at this point until they get everybody on board and everybody decides that, okay, you know, in this whole county. I mean, when we had LT outbreaks here where, where I live, laryngotracheitis, okay, um, I mean, it, it was costly as all get out. First, the birds that were sick, okay, and dying. And secondly, to send everybody out and start vaccinating everywhere, you know, and you know they 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 put their heads together, the veterinarians of the companies and and the diagnostic laboratory veterinarians here, and they said, well, you know what, let's just take a map of the whole area, let's pinpoint where all the farms are, and then let's make a grid out of that map. And what we'll do is wherever there's an outbreak, we'll quarantine the outbreak. Nothing moves in, nothing moves out except the feed that has to move in. You know, servicemen are all parked and we'll vaccinate in it and right around it, and that's it. And they pretty much stopped it here for the most part. I haven't had an outbreak here in quite a while. You know, and so 
it, it takes everybody biting into it and being on board with it and everybody doing the same thing. And the first one to, to not follow the protocol, that's where the problem comes in. I mean, look at this. Look at this thing here with the, the, the government shipping live anthrax around, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I mean, somebody, you know, I mean, how's that happen? It happens because somebody didn't do their job. Somebody wasn't following the protocol. Somebody wasn't paying attention. And this is the same thing. You're going to find the same thing here. I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> no, you're, you're good to go, buddy. You're good to go. I am going to go and uh, break away and go to the next commercial break here. But we'll return. i got a few more questions uh, from our Facebook fans right after this short break. Stay with us, folks. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com. And try Love Nest Organic Blends for your backyard friends today. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. 
pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us. I'll head over here to the switchboard. We'll bring Peter back on. Then we'll head over here to the Facebook page and uh, go down and go review some uh, more questions here. And I may be a little bit more selective now that uh, we're running out of time. So give me just a second. Let me see what we have here. Let's see what we got here. Peter, this is a good one. Um, I have one-year-old hens. And during the winter, I had five of my silver-laced Wyandots go through molt. Three of them still have bare behinds. I'm giving them some feather fixer, but they can't seem to grow any new feathers on their behinds. Any suggestions? Um, well, I can't see it. Lots of times we see this uh, mm -hmm. where they get uh, that baldness on the backside. Um, and uh, all they can grow seem to grow back is uh, is pin feathers, and uh, sometimes the only way to to uh, well not the only way but one of the ways is that uh, there's uh, sometimes a fungal infection. If you look around the the uh, the feather shaft, uh, it usually turns dark, and that may be part of the uh, of the of the problem as far as that concerns. Sometimes it's genetic. Sometimes uh, and sometimes the, the birds are are. You know, I don't, did you say she had a rooster with these or not? Did not. Did not. Did not did say not. one way or the other. Okay. So if there's a rooster involved, um, you know, it could be that. It could be uh, um, a number of different things. Um, not really a great answer for that, but uh, you need to look for, mm -hmm. you know, for mites, that kind of thing. Um, uh, mainly from what I have seen, um, and I have not necessarily seen that many. I've had a lot of questions about it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we just never know. I give an answer to something, never know what, you know, people don't get back to you or whatever. They solve the problem, they move on. But um, I have seen it where, where there's a, um, that fungal infection that takes place around there. So they might want to try, um, 
using one of the antifungals uh, that you can buy over the counter in the store, something that has ketoconazole in it would be fine. Um, used to be able to buy it as a shampoo. I don't know if that's still available, um, but they could they could try that ketoconazole. Um, it could be bacterial. Um, they may want to try a uh, uh, ketoconazole with a uh, antibiotic in it if they um, send me a. a, a uh, an email. Uh, I have some here that I would be willing to give them to try, and uh, it's just a uh, it's a uh, ketoconazole um, shampoo that has. Um, um, yeah, let me see here. I think I've got it sitting right here. Chlorhexidine has the uh, uh, other ingredient in it, so I just lather them up with it and and see how that works, and that that would. Uh, uh, it'd be a place to start anyway okay great i'm going to do two more and then we're going to wrap wrap the show up here uh and i'll answer kind of this next one and have you weigh in uh, rona wants to know my three-month-old girls there's four of them are trying to roost in one nest box my coop has a roost in a roosting bar uh but they they use it some but at night they fight for one nesting box so i don't have a picture of this and i don't have any uh size or, or relationship but my first comment to Rona would be, uh, are your nesting boxes much lower than the roost? That would be number one. Uh, number two um, is that if you uh, if, if it's a significant, because normally if, if the, you don't want the nesting boxes higher than the roost, they'll definitely uh, roost in the nested boxes. And if even if it's kind of close, sometimes they'll just roost in them on, on top of the nesting boxes. Um, but if it, uh, if it continues, you may end up having to just get a board and cover up that nesting box which is their favorite one to sleep at night and that alone may have them uh, start going back up to the roost you may have to like many people when they're training their birds have to go in every evening and physically put them on the roost over and over and over again uh, but if they don't have access to their favorite little nest box there there's no way they can get in the nest box. So that would be a, an issue is just block that one off. And that may, even though there may be two more nesting boxes, they just may not like those and not go in them and then roost on the roosting pole. Uh, so you may have to block, block their favorite one off that they're actually going uh, into. Peter, any suggestions? We'll go to our last question. Yeah, I, uh, I concur. Um, and that's why when you use a normal nesting box uh, that has a, a hinged front on it, that's what that's designed for. Uh, at the end of the day, when all the eggs are pretty much laid, uh, you flip that up, and it keeps the birds from going into the nesting boxes, period, and, uh, you know, should force them then to, uh, to go to the roost. So, um, uh, you know, we've, we've actually got a, a, a couple of uh, roosters here that like nest boxes. The hens don't even hardly go in it. Uh, they'll go in it to lay mm -hmm. an egg every now and then. We don't get that many eggs. We don't get enough to, to uh, uh, I don't think in the course of a month you could make a pie with them, but... Um, the the uh, we don't have that many hens left. Uh, the uh, you go in there and you'll find uh, uh, one or two roosters sitting in that uh, in that one uh, nest box that we do have in there, and we don't really care, so we don't we don't do it. But the ones that I have uh, do have that hinged front where you just push it up and it locks them out of there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it makes for a lot of a lot of uh, you know uh, extra work for yourself because while they're in there, yeah. they're defecating in there, and then uh, yep. if you're not there to clean it right out in the morning when 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 that bird decides to get out and hen wants to come in and lay the egg, then she lays the egg in the mess, and we start to get back into what we were talking about before the on- onset of the show was, you know, the contamination of eggs with fecal matter, and do you wash them? Don't you wash them? The cuticle and the whole nine yards. So. Um, you know, and if the bird doesn't want to uh, go onto the roost, just go in there after lights out and pick them up and put them on the roost. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, generally, yeah, they get the, yeah, they generally get the message. You know, and, and it does work. <laughs> so. Okay, last okay, question, and we'll have to wrap it up. And I like this question. We've covered it, but not a whole lot uh, in frequency. And how do you cure slash get rid of eye worm? I've tried everything. This comes to us from Dennis. What makes them, number one, what makes them think they have eye worm, because eye worm is actually quite rare unless you're in a more tropical place. Um, mm-hmm. They are generally carried and spread by the surname cockroach, and the, uh, it's a uh, long, drawn-out process uh, where the cockroaches get up on the face and, and, and lay the eggs in the lacrimal duct of the eye, um, and uh, or they get eaten by the, the, uh, the, the bird and then come up through the, uh, through the di- digestive system and, and come out. Uh, uh, into into the uh, to the eye. Um, if if you open the eye, obviously you got to have somebody help you do this. Uh, and you really do have eye worms. You should be able to see them. Should be right there. They're not that hard to see. Don't need a magnifying glass as a general rule. Um, and uh, you can pick them off and get rid of them that way. Uh, I would uh, probably give a dose of ivermectin uh, orally. Um, and I would, um, if I suspected I still had them in, in the eye, uh, I would probably take a drop of Vetrex and put it in the eye or uh, into the nostrils and in the nasal cleft in the mouth. Uh, but, I mean, gosh, I haven't seen them in years, years. And um, uh, But they, they're there in your more tropical places, you know, a uh, place like, you know, Florida, southern Georgia, uh, anything that's... that's uh, uh, warm and humid, uh, you know, would have them. But I would, I would want to see for sure uh, if you, if they did indeed have them. Sometimes uh, people will uh, uh, think they have eye worm, you know, when you get swelling around the eye or some other thing, which is, you know, can be caused by any number of things. But uh, that's the general way to get rid of them, and uh, make sure you got them first, and then treat them accordingly that way, and. Uh, uh, generally, you can run them out of the eye, and you can pick them right off, and uh, and, and it won't take long. A drop of Vetrex in there, they won't like it. Trust me, they'll come running right out of there if they're there. So, that's that's one way to do it. Awesome. Well, great information. That's gonna uh, wrap up another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown here on Backyard Poultry with the uh, Chicken Whisperer. So, uh, everybody loves it when you're on, Peter, including myself. We haven't had a uh, open mic. Uh, in quite some time so it was a great idea that you had yesterday about that and it was time to do it and got lots of questions answered and of course it's archived so these folks that couldn't listen live but still had a question they'll be able to listen to the archive 24 hours a day seven days a week when it's convenient for them so uh, we appreciate all you do for us here and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week my friend okay keep in touch andy thank you you will do. Thank you so much. Take care. That's Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. Visit his website, firststatevetsupply.com. Yep, that's a www.firststatevetsupply.com.
vetsupply.com. If they don't have it, you don't need it. And let me tell you something else he's got. $25 consultation. How cool is that? Don't have 100 bucks to go to the local vet. There's not a local vet. Why depend on a blog or forum? We've told you till we're blue in the face about the risks you're taking, the, the amount of horrible information out there. And, and, and here's the issue. Someone posts on a blog or forum, my chickens have these symptoms. What is it? How do I treat it? Somebody else comes on. Oh, my chickens had those signs and symptoms. I gave it this medication and now they're fine. So you go and do that. Well, do you realize how many chicken illnesses present with the same symptoms? Okay, but but different medications aren't going to fit. So here you start doing this. You found on a blog, you start giving this medication. They're not getting better. They're actually getting sicker. Now the other chickens have it because you didn't isolate them. And it's just a big debacle because you relied on a blogger form for the health of your chicken. So uh, it's just one of the $25 consultation fee over at firststatevetsupply.com. I've never heard anything negative come out of anybody that's done that. Not, not in, not in uh, seven years. Uh, not a single. In fact, it's uh, everything. All the comments that have used Peter for that for the twenty-five bucks. What a bargain! Uh, it has been phenomenal, phenomenal. So keep that as a resource, folks. Uh, um, even if it's a an expensive resource to start before you maybe take them to the vet that's three hours away to get his opinion. He'll tell you. Take them to the vet. He'll tell you. You know what what you may need to start helping this bird till you can get them to the vet but what a great value how much money do you have it's more than a three dollar chicken how many people say oh it's just a three dollar chicken really when you bought it it was three dollars what do you have invested in your coop in your time in your feed in your supplements in your feeders in your you know should we go down the list <laughs> i share people a lot of times in my uh, workshops about the lady who collected every single receipt until she got her first egg just under seven hundred dollars seven hundred dollars was the cost of her first egg it's more than a $3 chicken, folks. It's $25 is a drop in the bucket uh, to get good, reliable information. So firststatevetsupply.com. We appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, tomorrow, I am going to welcome, yep, you guessed it, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae. I don't have a topic yet, but I'll be able to post one later tonight for tomorrow's show. Hopefully, you'll be able to tune in tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on blog talk radio thanks for tuning in today god bless everybody